Welcome to Take Up and Read, a bite-sized Bible study podcast on the Sunday Catholic Mass readings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This Sunday is the fifth Sunday of Lent in year C. Remember that the Old Testament readings during Lent are not specifically chosen to harmonize with the Gospel readings. Instead, the first readings highlight important events in salvation history. Harkening back to the early catechumenate, when candidates would undergo an intense catechesis in the basics of the faith in preparation for baptism at Easter. Our first reading is Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21, in which the prophet recalls the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and announces a new exodus for the Jews exiled in Babylon. Verses 16 and 17 rehearse the most dramatic event of the first exodus, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, and the drowning of Pharaoh's army. Verses 19 and 20 remember the way the Lord led the Israelites through the desert and provided water, and promised he will do so once again. While the exiles of the southern kingdom of Judah did return from Babylon, this chapter immediately follows the first of Isaiah's servant songs in chapter 42. The true new exodus comes with his arrival, who we believe came in Jesus Christ. The new exodus is the divine rescue plan to save all of humanity from sin and restore it to right relationship with its creator. Our psalm this Sunday is Psalm 126, one of the psalms of ascent sung by pilgrims making their way to the temple in Jerusalem. This psalm praises God for the return of the inhabitants of the former kingdom of Judah from their Babylonian exile, as Isaiah foretold in our first reading. It would be hard to overstate the significance of the Babylonian exile for the faith and expectations of the Jewish people. Their return was, in a sense, a second exodus. The myriad prophecies of this new exodus, however, are only partially fulfilled in the returning of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin after the Persian conquest of Babylon. The new exodus expectations of a gathering of the twelve tribes of Israel in all the nations of the earth, as well as the promise of a new law to be written on the heart, are made reality in the coming of Jesus in his founding the Catholic Church. This Sunday's second reading is Philippians 3, verses 8-14, through 14, an exhortation by St. Paul to righteous living, not counting on fulfilling the ritual precepts of the Jewish law, but by faith and perseverance in Christ. Brothers and sisters, says Paul, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession. Just one thing, forgetting what lies behind but straining forward to what lies ahead. I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. It is hard to reconcile such a sentiment with the theology of Martin Luther or John Calvin. The I consider everything as a loss in verse 8 is in regards to Paul's former life as a Pharisee, perfectly fulfilling the Jewish ritual laws, which he discusses in the verses immediately prior to our Mass selection. The Greek word translated rubbish here in the same verse is skibala, which is used one other time in the Bible at Sirach 24 verse 7. This is a crass term for excrement that might be more accurately translated as poop. Most modern translations euphemize the word in both instances, but the original meaning obviously provides the rhetorical force that Paul wishes to communicate here. While quite interesting, I hope this is not the only thing you retain from today's podcast. 
In verse 12, Paul is glad that he has indeed been taken possession of by Christ Jesus. By this, he refers to his dramatically meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus, while still a Pharisee on an errand to persecute Christians. See Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19. Our gospel this Sunday is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. The tense encounter with the scribes and Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery. I'll start by noting that there is scholarly debate about the presence of this passage in the Greek manuscripts of John's gospel. I will not be going into it here, but will provide some links to more information in the show notes at studycatholic.com. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. John explicitly says that the question of what to do with the woman is put to Jesus as a test. On one hand, the penalty for adultery under the Old Testament law was death, and as the Messiah, Jesus would surely not contradict it. On the other hand, the Jews were not allowed to impose the death penalty while under Roman rule, a scenario that would drag Pontius Pilate into Jesus' own trial during his passion. The Pharisees know that Jesus is a man of mercy who claims to forgive sins, and thus they hope to entrap him. If he approves the stoning of the woman, they can report him to the Roman authorities as a rebel. If he opposes it, the scribes and Pharisees can tell the crowds following Jesus that their master does not obey the laws of Moses. Furthermore, if Jesus were to imply that he is ambivalent toward Roman governance, he would be contravening a common expectation of the time that the Messiah would seek to overthrow overthrow their rule. Notice that after being outfoxed, the scribes and Pharisees do not continue with the execution, displaying their own cowardice in the face of Roman power. Jesus' brilliant answer, however, avoids both traps. He simply asks that the first to throw a stone be one without sin. As Jesus is the only sinless one here, the outwitted executioners leave the woman alone, and Jesus reconciles her. In doing so, moreover, he has not broken the law of Moses. Jesus, as God himself, obviously has the authority to declare when his justice is satisfied, his mercy having provided the grace for her to repent. Notice as well that this episode is not an exemplar of I'm okay, you're okay morality. Jesus tells the woman not to sin anymore, the same commitment we make every time we pray the act of contrition in the sacrament of penance. One one question surrounding this reading is what did Jesus write on the ground before giving his answer? Simply put, we have no way of knowing. There is a possible reference to Jeremiah 17 verse 13 here. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38, just prior to the episode with the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It is possible that Jesus' writing in the earth is his subtle rebuke to the scribes and Pharisees for recently rejecting him as the source of living water, a symbol of the Holy Spirit received in baptism. Some have speculated that he was writing the various sins of those ready to stone the woman to death, tying into his injunction, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It is certainly an interesting hypothesis, but a hypothesis nonetheless. Venerable Fulton Sheen thought that there might be more to the act of writing itself 
rather than the words written. We are told during the Exodus that the Ten Commandments, the ultimate expression of the Old Testament law, were written on tablets by the finger of God. Perhaps in Jesus' writing on the ground with his finger, he is also making a claim to divinity, identifying himself as God who gave the law on Mount Sinai. It is he who gives the law and instructs how it is to be carried out. Another question that arises is who is this woman caught in adultery? Is she just another anonymous figure who comes into contact with Jesus? Or is there merit to the tradition that identifies her with Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha? Pope St. Gregory the Great seems to be the origin of the Mary Magdalene tradition in the 6th century AD, a rather late date. It is impossible at this point to say with certainty who the woman was or what happened to her after this event. That's all we have time for today. Let's conclude with the Collect from this Sunday's Mass. By your help we beseech you, Lord our God. May we walk eagerly in that same charity with which, out of love for the world, your Son handed himself over to death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more and find resources, visit studycatholic.com. And please tell your friends about the show and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Thanks again, and God bless.